Hey there, DC Comics News fans. This is your host, Seth Singleton. Host of what, you might ask? Well, if you're a regular listener, you are familiar with the DC Comics News Spinner Rack. But if this is your first time, then welcome. The Spinner Rack, of which this is episode number 70, is a place outside of space and time where I go for a journey and invite you along to take a look at all the comics from DC Comics each and every week. And each and every week, I pick five. For this week, I've got quite an exciting haul, and there were so many amazing books. It took quite a bit of time to get through them all, and it wasn't an easy choice. However, I found a way. I'd like you to join me while we kick things off with my first choice, which is Justice League Dark, number 25. What a phenomenal book. What great writing by Ram V. Amazing art by Amon K. Nahuelpin, Jun Chung with the colors, Rob Lay with the letters, Yannick Paquette, and Nathan Fairbairn with the original cover, with Lee Bermeo providing the variant cover. Magic. It's one of those things that has a lot of constants, and it's illustrated here with an introduction about the price of magic and how you always have to be aware of what it costs. We start out with a great scene with Zatanna as a child, bringing back to life a rabbit and her father in horror, stopping her and then invoking a spell that reveals what the price for this action will be. It's a violent and bloody exchange between magic and Zatara. And when it's over, he forgives her and he explains how he needs to rest but he needs her to understand that there is a cost. Well, this cost is one that the Justice League Dark Team is facing in the other place, as that memory leads us to a present in which Zatanna and Wonder Woman are facing off with the Upside Down Man. There, Zatara is burning, and so much seems to be at risk. While the rest of the team, like Manbat, Kirk in his studies, Swamp Thing still recovering, but making a plan and suggesting that while the Upside Down Man believes that he is the reality of the place, the other place, and that by seeping all of his existence into it, he now encompasses, if not embodies that reality. What he forgets is that that is something that others can do as well. And if there is a power, a will, an energy, a presence, or even something else, however you choose to describe the element that comes into play in this part of the story, there's an opportunity suddenly seen for the team to make a decision and perhaps to finally feel like they are on even ground, or maybe have taken the upper hand. Whether or not that will remain something that is actually true or constant in the next chapters has to do with a plot that is developing in the final pages, one in which one member of the team who has not been present finds himself at the end of a journey. But the discovery is not a prize. It's another mystery. It's another challenge with some ominous 
lingering elements in the form of tarot cards, offering all sorts of suggestions for what might be coming next in Justice League Dark number 26. However, Justice League Dark number 25 has some amazing, amazing art. Swamp Thing looks phenomenal, the way he just seems to have that presence roped in shadows, but also veiny, threaded with roots, and a focused and determined stare. There, There is nothing I think that Swamp Thing cannot do if he is not willing to understand how to do it and then choose to do it. Because what he does in this chapter, in this issue, is whew, quite a treat to be enjoyed. And the moments between Zatanna and Zatara, when great art captures emotions with shadows and depth like this and reveals the compassion and the empathy that makes Wonder Woman such a powerful figure, it's, it's really just another great layer to the storytelling here. I'm going to highly encourage Justice League Dark number 25 if you haven't picked it up. If you were thinking about it, this should be a good list of reasons for doing so. From the story, to the art, to the colors, to the menacing texture of the upside-down man's letters, this is a really great issue. I am giving a 5 out of 5, and I'm happy to start off as our first choice for this episode number 70. Now, the wildest thing about a kickoff like that is we've really only just begun. By that, I mean our second choice is Batman Three Jokers, number one. Whew. Writer Jeff Johns has been talking about this story for some time. And when he hasn't, so has Jason Fabok, with amazing illustrations and colors by Brad Anderson, with Rob Lay on the letters, the cover illustrated and colored by Jason Fabok and Brad Anderson. It's a menacing, it's a menacing cover with Joker's manic glee on full display, a bloody crowbar, a reminder of the Jason Todd death and destruction, and how important that is to a very impressive opening scene. If you've been following DC Comics News and the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, you know this is something that we actually got a chance to talk about with some preview images. Well, seeing them in this issue is so much more of a joy to behold. It's really just a, a clean introduction to concepts, time, whether it heals all wounds, what does it really do? And we get some great flashes of vintage Batman mementos. But we have a story developing, one that starts with the scars on Batman's body and all the times he's received them from villains like Bane to Catwoman and so many of them from the Joker. There's a quick flash to Batman's origin and then we transition over to Barbara and along the way there's a period of notes suggesting that there were three different versions of the Joker and that from each one, there was always a different side of the story to tell. There was the criminal, and as we shift gears over to Barbara Gordon in the shower, sort of feeling the scars and thinking about the horrible memory she experienced under Joker's uh, clutches during the killing joke, and that moment is referenced with the version of 
Joker that was the comedian. And when we shift to a story about Red Hood, that version of the Joker is the clown. Now, there's a story going around and a mystery, one that has brought Batman and Batgirl together at Ace Chemicals of all place, where Joker's bodies twisted by the Joker are appearing, twisted by the chemicals, horribly suffering in pain. And Jason Todd is in another part of this story looking for answers. Now, there's a clash between our heroes, but there's also a cabin in the woods where three Jokers have gathered. One is wearing a trucker's hat. One is wearing a wide-brim hat similar to a gangster and a Hawaiian shirt. And the other is wearing a trench coat, light coat, something with two layers of lapels, one for the collar and then another set for the breast and chest torso. And this concept that's decided and discussed about making a better Joker, how to do it, and what these three Jokers are doing together, how they came to be, and what will be the crux of this story, this concept that is suggested, more than one Joker, and the three of them working together on some long distance, clearly, well-planned and thought-out plot. There's also an aquarium. The appearance of a long-time, old-time, but rarely seen henchman, and also some ugly, twisted versions of sea creatures, one of whom makes a glorious display, and then there is a joker, who faces off with Barbara and Red Hood. And when they do, there's a surprising, although not too surprising, decision made on the behalf of Red Hood. We have, through this, a greater sense of mystery as to whether or not this Joker is even one of the three, how Jason Todd's actions will play into that, and what we can expect in our remaining two issues. Remember, this is one of a three-part series, and <laughs> boy, kicking this one off is not just a bang or a joke, but it's a series of haunting memories and parallel stories, and through them, I'm looking forward to seeing how Jeff Johns is going to twist these jokers, these members of the Bat family, together and against each other, and through it, what is this long-term plot? What is it from Ace Chemicals and so many pieces of the Joker we've come to know that are being acted out by these three Jokers in collaboration? It's a really great one for the ages, and if you want more insights, I encourage. Great reviews are available on Dark Knight News and DC Comics News. There's so many perspectives worth considering on this story. I check them all out. And they're available right through your good friends at DC Comics News. With that second book out of the way, we're going to take that quick pause. As you know, after we take care of two books, this one being our second, a great five out of five book, it's time for an ad break to fill you in on all the great things going on here at DC Comics News. And then we come back for our third, fourth, 
and fifth choices. Thanks for your patience. Thanks for hanging out. Can't wait to talk more. Hi, everyone. I'm here to tell you about the DC Comics News Podcast. Here every week to talk everything DC. Movies, TV, comics, and everything in between. But don't just take my word for it. Here are a couple of our sponsors. Listen to the DC Comics News Podcast. It's audio justice. (laughs) No, no, no. It's audio chaos. These wackos are crazier than I am. Well, maybe you're both right. Regardless, you can catch us on every kind of podcast platform. Apple Podcasts. Google Play. Spotify. Stitcher. And everywhere you find great podcasts. So, um, can I go now? Let him go. He did everything you asked. (laughs) No. Hello, listeners. This is Tony Farina from DC Comics News and an occasional guest on Comics in Motion. I'm pleased to announce a new show called Indie Comics Spotlight. Each week, my guests and I will be taking a deep dive into a current title or a classic graphic novel from a publisher other than the big two. Consider this show the best of the rest. My hope is that we'll bring new readers to independent comics and give old readers a chance to share their thoughts. Join me each week in the Comics in Motion feed in your favorite podcast catcher. First, there was the DC Comics News Podcast. Then came the Spinner Rack. And now, the third show brought to you by the guys that brought you all that other stuff I just mentioned. I am the Knight. A story about the stories. A show celebrating Batman, the animated series. Week by week, episode by episode. Just when you thought it was safe to put on a pair of headphones. I am the Knight. Why, hello there. I'm Seth Singleton, and I'm here to tell you about Mad Pup, a Harley Quinn cast. Harley Quinn? Harley f***ing Quinn? What have we learned from this crazy show? Making Bat Shark repellent relevant since 1966. Oh, look, Ogre. And we've gone completely off the rails. I hear the bat signal. Shut up and bat them, nerds. I definitely do not f*** bat. In need of an adult-sized nemesis. Humans make good fertilizer. You can't f*** with Lois Lane. For f***'s sake. I'm a damn good cop. Lot of lasers. Mmm. Educational and informative. The DC Comics News Podcast Network presents Mad Love, the Harley Quinn cast. (laughs) Back to you, Seth. So, tell us your thoughts. We'd love to hear from everyone out there. Or not. That's really up to all of you. F***ers. Just like that, thanks for your patience. We're back. Ads are out of the way and we are ready to get back to the DC Comics News Spinner Rack, episode number 70. Our third choice for this time around is Plunge number 6, a phenomenal story, one that really pulls at the attention, draws you downward, which is a scary place to be when they're these slug-like creatures, alien in origin, with nefarious plans and a hatch they need opened. 
Joe Hill, the amazing writer on this Hill line of comics, has really brought to life the horror that we have come to associate with the water, once reserved only for things like Jaws, now replete with alien slug, centipede, millipede, swimming things. Artist Stuart Immonen brings those to life with such a ugly, scary, haunting reality that it is almost as horrifying as the effect that it has on the people that these things take over. You've got great colors from David Stewart, uh, letters by Darren Bennett, an amazing cover, and really phenomenal variant cover. These are really a great selection. Creator Joe Hill has brought to life something that we wish would simply die, but it won't. And in this issue, this final issue, perhaps, we get the chance to see just what happens when the hatch is open, the creatures return to their home, and a hope for something like a rescue from a Russian submarine is dashed by a creature beyond description, simply put. Between the tentacles, the eyes, and so many other parts of this thing as it crawls up out of the water, it's impossible to say exactly what it's like. It is certain to know that its appearance is horrifying, haunting. And again, as uh, DC Comics News reviewer Tony Farina put it, another reason to not go back in the water. This was a really powerful issue. I love that it takes on so many of the great classic tropes of relationship between Mariah and the captain that can never be completed, resolved, brought to any culmination because the captain knows there's really only one way to make sure nothing comes this creature's arrival. It's just a baby, it's hungry, and it needs to be stopped. There's an option down below, and with the rest of the crew working to help the captain, he takes a final dive and makes a decision that saves all of humanity, whether or not they'll ever actually know it. But like all great stories, especially the horror kind, this one does not suggest that we have actually come to a finality or an exact ending. What we may have done is paused after a powerful moment, a powerful story, a powerful title, a great third choice for this episode of The Spinner Rack, a great five out of five book for you to pick up, highly encouraged, recommend, and if you need to, start plunge from the beginning. It's only six issues. And afterwards, either thank or hate me for recommending this horrifying title. One that, man, I'm going to remember for a very, very long time. Now you'll notice I'm in my squeaky chair today. And one of the things I like about the squeaky chair is it seems like it's the perfect kind of chair to tell scary stories from. Not that all of these stories are scary, or that that's the purpose of this podcast. However, when you look at what we just covered with plunge number six, and then you turn around to my fourth choice, Sandman, or wow, I just had a Freudian slip there. I've been thinking about a Sandman book I would like to go back and read. And instead of saying John Constantine Hellblazer number nine, I started out with Sandman. 
I'm adorable sometimes. Thanks for putting up with me. John Constantine, Hellblazer, number nine. Ah, because it's Sandman Universe. That was the other distraction. I love this original cover. It's such a fun look. It's got the coat of arms and John with a cup of cigarette and a unicorn in the background. <laughs> Boy, what a great story by Simon Spurrier. Beautiful art by uh, Matthias Bergara. I want to I know I said the name, the first name correctly. Um, hopefully, I'll get it right eventually. Matthias Bergara with the art. Colors by Jordi Belair. Letters by Aditya Bidikar with an original cover by John Paul Leone. That's a cover I would get. Even if I didn't care about the story inside, I'd get it for that cover. But the story inside is worth more than just a cover. In fact, what is inside is a great conversation with someone who we get their first-person perspective is sitting down at a table with John after hours. John, of course, pointing out that this is a time when he can enjoy a quiet cup, a final drink, a cigarette, without too much bother. In fact, it's a special cup. It's one that was made for him. It even has his name as well as a great title on the reverse side. However, this is a PG podcast, so I can't exactly say the title. Now in this story, titled The Favorite, which is a term in reference to not only a child, but also in this instance, racing, specifically horse racing terms. The favorite is the one expected to win, the one most likely, the one that the odds say will be the victor. This is, of course, of great interest to certain parts of England, and in this story, most notably, the royal family, of which there are some reputable members and others who would not be considered reputable by any stretch of the means. These figures have quite an interest in mating and breeding, specifically of the early kind, the barely legal when it comes to humans, and now also the barely legal when it comes to horses. See, the theme that's been running through this Hellblazer story of John Constantine's is that there's an older version of him that is out there creating a lot of chaos. He doesn't know why. And this younger Constantine must often clean up the mess if he wants England to somehow maintain whatever sort of normalcy, normality, normality, normalcy. Oh, it's so much fun to play with those words. That because of this, he has been led to believe that not only is this older version of himself involved in something bigger than just creating mischief. But at the moment, all he can focus on is the mischief that the older John has created with the royal family by offering up a very valuable seed from a stud. However, this is no ordinary animal, and more importantly, it's one that doesn't belong in our reality. Because of that, it is in pain, it is angry, it is searching for comfort, but there is none, because all of the creatures of this world are unclean, and this thing was pure until it was mixed with unclean blood, like that of an animal used for breeding. 
it's a powerful story about the dangers that come into play when magic and mundane are mixed together. The result is a mess that John has to clean up in more ways than one, and he knows that there are dangers when messing with the royal family. So at its conclusion, John also reveals that not only was he prepared for the challenges this story brought on, but that he's used to gambling with people who are sore losers, and that he knows that just because they don't take things well, that doesn't mean he have to take he has to take any of their petty vengeances or retaliations. Thankfully, he's also got a good friend in the bartender, and together, John not only tells his story, but walks away not only the better man, but the victor. In this case, you might even say the favor. Squeaky chair, let's get to our fifth and final book. And for this edition, this issue, this episode, our fifth and final choice is the question, The Deaths of Vic Sage, number four. Who we wooey. Squeaky chair, we've got a story to tell. It's a little scary, but it's not quite the horrors that we have been covering with these last few issues. In this final book in a four-part series, a black label production featuring writing by Jeff Lemire, Lemire, sometimes I get these names just all the way wrong. Beautiful Pencils by Dennis Cohen, who first worked on this book with Dennis O'Neill. Inks by Bill Sinkowitz, colors by Chris Sotomayor, letters by Willie Schubert, an original cover by Cowan Sinkowitz and Sotomayor with a variant by Andreas Sorrentino. I'm going to be completely honest, I am biased for this book. I have it on my list. I've been getting the original and variant covers. I love them all. This has been a lovely story. And what I really enjoyed was at the end of this issue, a beautiful tribute to Denny O'Neill, Dennis O'Neill, a recognition of his legacy on each one of the participants in this series, and a very poignant moment from Dennis Cowan talking about how he first worked on the question with Dennis O'Neill, and now how he's working on this edition of the question right as O'Neill passes, and what that legacy has meant for him, how hard he's worked, the challenges he's taken on as they collaborated together, and what that's meant for them both. Bill Sinkowitz with a beautiful story about a moment when a mentor set him on a better path. And just overall, this recognition of something that I love from my local comic shop in which they say in Lemire, we trust. (laughs) It's easy to do so with this great story because as we enter the fourth chapter, so much is difficult to even know, let alone trust. Vic Sage, if that's who he really is, is trying to figure out a history, one in which he does not quite know where he fits, more importantly, who he is, and a journey that has revealed to him that he is more than just one identity, more than just one person, that he's all of them, that he has existed in the past, turn of the century, he's existed in the 1940s, when Hub was a different place. So no matter whether his name is Vic Sage, 
Charles Victor Zaz, Charlie Sage, or whatever his name is next, he's done running. And he believes he has a chance to take on evil and end it for good. Now, there are some beautifully poignant, haunting visuals from the smoke and the mist to a flashback to a horrifying experience young Vic Sage has in an orphanage facing off with his immortal enemy, an evil that confronts him as a child, attempts to break his will, and then use that same tactic when Vic returns as an adult. The consequences are heavy for Hub City. Their mayor, who has been under the control of the evil, whatever name it's taken now, it doesn't really seem to matter. But that evil forces the mayor to make a violent decision and Vic to realize that he's not alone in this struggle and that sometimes even when evil has had time, foresight, and planning, that Vic can rely on some really great people who are going to help him out. And because of that, he has a lot that he can look forward to in regards to his future. At least that's how it might seem at first. And so now, even as evil is brought to a close for this story, it doesn't mean that Vic's battle against evil has come to an end, because very quickly he realizes something powerful that his good friend Todd told him, which is that evil is something inside of us. We all have it. There is no devil. There's just us, people, and the evil we allow ourselves to become controlled by or a part of or whether we choose to make a different choice it's a powerful lesson one that feels like it could break everything that currently i would imagine is very fragile as far as vic's identity sense of self sense of purpose but the ending is so quintessential the question and when it's revealed not only does Vic show us why it is he's willing to burn all the parts of the past and the secrets and mystery he's kept so far but also what he's looking to do next because even if evil is inside of us all that doesn't mean that Vic's mission has come to an end in fact it really might only mean that there is now a change in regards to how he's going to undertake it. There's something beautiful about a timeless story that tells a narrative and at the end feels so wonderfully timeless. It's a great moment that I really enjoyed. I thought was such a perfect addition to the canon of the question. Squeaky chair is with me because it knows this isn't a scary story just one it wants to be a part of. But Squeaky Chair also knows that that was our fifth and final book. So there's a long squeak squeak. And a chance to let you know that even with a great five out of five ending to this episode with the question number four, that doesn't mean that there's an ending to the DC Comics news spinner rack. Just this episode, episode number 70, of which it has been a joy to host and I've been really thankful to share all these great titles with you. Keeping all that in mind, 
should you want to make sure, and I think you would, to never miss out on future episodes of the Spinner Rack, DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, uh, Mad Love, our episode-by-episode breakdown of Harley Quinn, I Am the Knight, the Steve J. Ray-hosted episode-by-episode breakdown of Batman the Animated Series, and so many other great types of content coming from the DC Comics News Podcast Network. The best thing I can recommend is that you make sure you're subscribed on whatever podcast platform you're listening on. We're on all the big ones, Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, more, and all the little ones of which, if you know one that we should be mentioning, please don't hesitate to let us know. We'd love to hear all the places where you're listening. How can you let us know? It's really easy. All you have to do, use the at symbol and DC Comics News. That's at capital D, capital C, capital C, O-M-I-C-S, capital N-E-W-S. When you do that, you'll let everybody know on either YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, or other podcast platforms where you'll be seeing us soon, like YouTube and others. And tell us your thoughts, what you like, what you don't, what you want to know, how we can help, or just how great we're doing. We love to hear all that stuff. We love to hear it from you. At DC Comics News is how you let us know. As for me, I've been your host, Seth Singleton. You can send me messages by either searching me as Seth Singleton Storyteller or Storytelling with Seth. Find one of those ways. Let me know what you're thinking, what you want me to know, and anything else that might come up along the way. This has been episode number 70 of DC Comics News Spinner Rack. It's been a great time hanging out with you all. Can't wait to join you for episode number 71. And until then, a little something we like to remember here, and that is to always read more comics. Have a great night.